It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the Marvin Vittori Chin to my Jared Cannoneer, Nick John Braccia III. Nick, we're going to quickly talk about last week's card, UFC Fight Night, Vittori versus Cannoneer, and then we're going to jump into UFC on ABC5, Emmett versus Taporia, coming up this weekend, man. And, I mean, we got to dive in, right, about Vittori's chin, about Cannoneer's output, man. What were your thoughts on the main event of last weekend? Well, first, I just wanted to say, I hope you're doing okay. Just personally, physically, I hope you're getting the ice baths in. I hope you're taking some time with your family after, um, you know, you got pieced up again. <laughs> you did You did edge me by a point and, and a half. I never, I got, my, my, my lean is so big right now, I've got to start my own whiskey brand. You should, let's go, um, Nick. Let's go. That's going to that's gonna go well. What um, are you going to call it, I wonder? Um, <laughs> Zero originality, and, uh, Nick. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man. Um, Mar- you know, Marvin. I think a couple of things could have happened here. One, I mean, Cannonier's pace and accuracy and aggression were off the were off the charts. Um, and his recovery, because Vittori doesn't usually rock people, and he rocked Cannonier a couple of times. I wonder if in his desperation for a rare finish for him that Vittori might have dumped at the, in the first round, had an adrenaline dump chasing. If you watch him, the way he goes after Cannoneer um, and picks up his step, it could have been that he lost track of his emotions and gassed himself out in the first round a bit. I don't know. I don't want to take anything away from Cannoneer, but... Um, it's rare that, that Vittori seemingly can't keep up with the pace and is getting out, you know, just like outstruck based on accuracy and strong punches, but not, you know, not, it wasn't crazy haymakers coming from Cannoneer. It was, he fought a great, he fought a great fight. He just beat, for whatever reason, um, he beat Vittori and I don't, and I didn't feel like Vittori didn't show up. I mean, he certainly showed up. He had a ton, he had a ton of heart uh, and he never, and he never stopped trying to win. Uh, Cannonier was just better. Yeah, I mean, uh, Vittoria, again, he's always had that heart. He changed camps recently. You got to wonder if that was a factor. Like, he's he's not been looking as good. I also think there's something to the to just, like, the mental frame that he's in after losing to both Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. And then suddenly he has a, a, a mediocre performance against Roman Delitz, who, to be fair, is really dangerous. He has a really bad performance of his, against Jared Cannonier coming off this weekend, right? So, like, his mentality of no matter what, I'm going to be champion. Uh, like, he doesn't speak that way anymore, and he didn't leading into this fight. And he didn't leading into his last fight either, right? So we're talking about a guy who went from, like, having no doubt whatsoever about the fact that he's going to be a world title holder to now now not really, not like, realizing that he's probably never going to reach that. He can say he's 29 all he wants. He's just 20, I mean, he is just 29. He's 10 years younger. I Yeah, but it's kind of like Darren Till talking about the fact that he's 29 or 30. Like, you've got a shitload no, of miles on you, not. and you've come up short so it's, many times. It's, I, no, I don't look at it like that. We, we've seen Darren Till quit. We've seen Darren Till get tired. We've seen Darren Till not pull the trigger. We haven't seen, we haven't seen Vittori not show up. We haven't seen Vittori quit. We've seen him get outskilled. We've seen him uh, 
with speed and strategy, and we've seen his lack of a plan B. Um, but his durability, you know, his size, like I don't, I don't know if he's going to be champion. I just, um, I think this guy, I think this guy does for as meatheaded as he can be. I do think he's got an insane amount of heart and and conviction, and to a degree in the cage class, like. I don't think he's like a till at all. I think till's all over the place. I think Vittori's just eating some humble pie at the moment as he's stepping in against, you know, the best. And this was a challenge against a man who over the, you know, has, has achieved in his journey, like new levels of self-belief and also has, even at age 39, is much more athletic, has has far greater athletic gifts than Marvin Vittori does. Yeah, but my, my real point is it's not that Marvin Vittori quits and fights like Darren Tilden. My point is simply that Marvin Vittori doesn't really have a good shot of being champion unless this division falls apart all of a sudden. Not after all he's been or, through. Or, well, not after what he's shown. Well, I, I, I don't know. At the same time, I never would have said when, after, you know, in the Cannoneer, Adesanya, or Whitaker fight, or earlier Cannoneer fights that he had a shot. And I don't. I, I don't think he has a shot. He has a stronger shot, I think, than Vittori, and that's what we saw this past weekend. Um, and and some of the things you attributed to that, his athleticism, his power, the fact that he's still improving, which is kind of crazy at this age. But again, like v- Vittori doesn't talk like he's going to be a future champion. He says some of the right things, but it's not with the same belief that he did back before he lost those two fights, and he lost them decisively. And now he's at a point where he's admitting that he's lost. Yeah. Whereas, like even after the two Adesanya losses, he just claimed like. He, he deserved both decisions. He was shocked that he was losing to Adesanya in the middle of their fight. That self-belief is not there. It's not the same anymore. And that's really one of the things that made him special. Obviously, the other thing that made him special is his durability, his gas tank, um, which, you know, the gas tank didn't look, I guess, on paper awesome here. I, I just think he took so much damage, and he was so overwhelmed with the amount of power that Cannoneer was able to put on him. The biggest difference, I think, is in Cannoneer. Um, I know Vittori switched camps, and, and that's probably not necessarily serving him well. There's usually an adjustment period when he switched camps. But it just seemed like Cannoneer realized that low output was his issue. I talked about how low output is the reason why I'm picking Vittori. And he literally came in and did the opposite of that. He fixed the thing that was an issue in his fights against Robert Whitaker and his fights against Israel Adesanya, right? He should have made that Adesanya fight more of a dogfight. Instead, he just stood at the end of Adesanya's long strikes and let him, let him do well there. Um, and let him do his thing, essentially. Let him play his own game. Um, I, I, all I'm saying is that Vittori just is not the same, and realistically, he's not going to be champion. Is it, are crazy things have happened? Yes. But given the amount of damage just that he took in this fight alone, it's almost would be better for him if he, you know, if he covered up and, and quit as far as the long-term damage on him. But you're right. Once you quit, um, it's easy to press that button again, and Vittori's shown that he's willing to fight through anything. It's just this is going to hurt his heart. This is going to hurt him physically. It's going to hurt his chin long-term, th- this fight in itself. And the fact that, again, he realizes that he's not going to be champion. After this one, he's got he's to have extreme doubt in his ability to be champion. And, and I think, again, like, despite his meatheadedness, he's not the brightest guy, but I think his, his um, just, just insatiable self-belief was the reason why he was successful to begin with. It was a big part of the reason, and it's no longer there. Um, yeah, Cannoneer, the, the, way, the way that he was... He just kept kept putting strikes on him at all times. He kept changing angles. His footwork was a big part of the key. He wasn't standing right in front of Vittori and just exchanging shots with him. Although at some point he was getting more aggressive because he was dominant. Um, and the fact that Cannonier did that after getting hurt really badly in the first round is a huge testament in his favor, I think. That was really impressive. 
And then, Nikolai, uh, we had the co-main event, which which was pretty solid. Armitsar Ikan versus Joaquim Silva. You would think that Joaquim, you know, doesn't have a chance, but he put up a decent fight. You know, he did his bit. He hurt Saryukan at some point in that second round, wobbled him with the left hook. But Saryukan, man, his wrestling is phenomenal even when he's hurt. His striking is actually pretty solid. He's more of a kicker than a boxer. But uh, Saryukan showed that he, he should be on that short list, man. He should be one of those guys that's so, on tap he, to fight one of the names to become a contender. Yeah, but this... but. As far as his reputation goes, as far as his marketability goes, this this actually hurt him. Um, this is one of those fights. Listen, he can overcome it. This is it had a little bit, not as far, but a little bit of a Leon Edwards Nate Diaz thing, where people were expecting Saryukin to completely roll. We knew and spoke last week about how Joaquim Silva uh, was dangerous, but the thing everybody remembers is going to remember from this fight is you know Saryukin getting a, getting his you know his eyes <laughs> his eyes knocked a little silly. Um, not, you know, not his dominance because he was supposed to have a dominant, dominant performance. He's supposed to have potentially a fantastic finish. Um, so yes, he won, uh, but it was one of the, it was one of those wins that exposes a little bit of vulnerability. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm sure he's not, you know, I'm sure he's not thrilled about that. Yeah, I mean, I think exposing the vulnerability is not the worst thing against such an explosive guy. I think the fact that he scored a finish. Yeah, he's an unknown guy. He's an explosive guy, but he's not, a, but he's not a known guy. No, I, I don't disagree. But again, like this was a major risk fight for him, right? He needed the fight one for experience, two to actually like you know make some make a living. Um, whereas a lot of the top guys were saying no to fighting him. A lot of the a lot of the lower run guys were saying no to fighting him. Who wants to fight this guy? He's he's absolutely like suffocating. And he's going to give you a terrible night and make you look like shit. And the fact that he finished Silva, the fact that he talked about the title shot after, um, the fact that everyone's talking about him in a certain light now as as. Hopefully, a soon-to-be contender. I think it's all in his favor. I agree. Like, it's not a great sign that he was buzzed by him, but he did dominate the fight. Like, like there was only really one moment in which he wasn't in complete control, and then he ended up finishing Joaquin Silva, which is something that he needed to do in this fight. Ideally, in the first round, given being a one minus one thousand favorite, again, you're taking so much risk in taking this bout against a really dangerous unknown opponent. Uh, and I think that, if anything, should be to his credit, because this really is like this is a guy that can finish most people. Um, he can like have a flash night and finish a top guy too, Joaquin Silva. Uh, it, it wasn't meant to be for him in this one, but I, I, I think Terry Ken's stock rises if only because he's starting to talk about the title. He's reminding people about his close fight with the champion Islam Akhachev, um, and I think a contender fight for him is next. I think I, I don't think Michael Chandler would want to fight the guy, but I know he's been pining for that fight for a while. I think realistically, it's probably going to be Daryush that's going to give him the shot because Daryush needs a comeback fight by the end of the year, which is a mistake for him to fight this soon after a knockout like that. But Saryukhan is going to be the guy, and, and I think that's an interesting matchup given how, given how uh, Daryush did against the guy that you know has a win over uh, over Armand Saryukhan in Mateusz Gamrot. Although, gr- granted, Saryukhan probably should have earned that decision. Then we have Armand Pedrosian, who's just a relentless offensive pressure striker, and he made Christian Lurier Duncan's smooth moves look ineffective because Christian was almost in sparring mode the whole time. Pat Sabatini dominated Lucas Almeida. Uh, Manuel Torres looked great against Moda. Nicholas Dalby came in with the uh, with the with the underdog win that I thought he would, and you uh, you, you you saved yourself from having uh, you saved you basically took that pick, even though you picked Salikov, and you you kept me from getting those two points. Anything else worth mentioning on this card? Uh, not really. I mean, King looked good. Uh, Zach Poga got robbed against Modestus Bukakis. A pick I made the the Zach pick. And you thought I would, you thought it was a really bad pick. No, not not really bad. I just decision. disagreed with it. But uh, well, MMA decisions was largely in favor of Zach, and that should have been a two pointer for me. No, that wouldn't have been a two. 
What was he that? Yeah, what was I, it really? That's why, yeah, that's why. That's why I picked that. Oh wow! Yeah, he's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Wow, that's uh, that 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 would that would have eleven been eleven to two is this eleven to two is the scoring on um yeah. Uh, again, the, the, that was one of those close fights, and and I thought Poga probably edged it as well. That was one of those close fights that that I thought uh, that I thought Poga was probably going to edge, um, but but I did I did give uh, Bukaskis the edge given what we've seen from Poga so far. Holding on to Jordan Wright for three rounds is not is not you know the kind of game that makes you think he's going to do well overall against more dynamic opponents. But he he looked he looked pretty decent in that fight, and uh, and uh, Bukaskis walked away with a lucky one. Nikolai, that will do it for that one. We're going to dive into UFC on ABC5, Emmett versus Teporia. This one being on an ABC on the big channel, and granted, like, make uh, card, I think, is at 3 p.m. Prelims are going to be at about 11.30 a.m., 14 fights. We're only going to break down 10 of these, 10 of the more important fights on this card. Nick is in the lead by eight points as of now, which is significant, Nikolai. Biggest lead you've had maybe ever between us. Um, but you know what? I'm going to work my way back, Nikolai. I'm not losing confidence. I I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not taking you... I'm not taking you lightly. I don't want to. I don't want to give back any points. Good, good. You you shouldn't want to give back any points, Nikolai, because I will take as many as I can sooner or later, Nikolai. I'll be back in the lead, and and all will be right with the world. Um, in the meantime, I believe I do have the first pick in this one, and I'm going to take Randy Brown to beat Wellington Terman. Wellington Terman is actually making the cut down 170 pounds for the first time, and well, actually for the first time in his UFC career, he used to be 170 pounder prior to his UFC debut and you know it's probably not a bad move and I'm sure training with Alex Pereira will make you think maybe 185 is not quite the right division for me um he just got beat by uh Andre Petrovsky who's a much less experienced fighter a grappler and I know Randy Brown's not a grappler I know Randy Brown's wrestling is probably one of his weaker points his chin is not awesome but his long range striking is dynamic it's really good um he's dangerous at all levels he's he can even be dangerous off of his back with his up kicks and and, and that sort of thing um, I've got to I've got to go with Randy Brown. Like his chin definitely gives me worries in any matchup. But Wellington Terman's not the most powerful guy. Terman likes to get takedowns. I'm not sure he's going to be able to get them against Randy Brown in this one. Um, and uh, I'm picking Randy Brown unless his chin is completely wrecked. I'm surprised you're taking this one first, but <coughs> more power to you. Um, and you may be surprised with my first pick, but over time I've had a lot of success with the women. I think that um, Amanda Hebas is a terrible style matchup for Macy Barber. I think that um, I think Barber's going to run into a lot of shots and that she's going to do her thing. She's going to try to clinch. She's going to try to dirty box. She's just going to keep charging. But we still haven't seen, or I, I don't feel I've seen a version of Macy Barber that is strategic, that has a really good plan B. She's just like, an, it's like, She's, her style is aggro. And I think that Amanda Hibas should have the, the dexterity um, to hit her, just to hit her coming in. I think that she's going to be, um, if it hits the ground, I think that even though she might not be quite as strong, I think Hibas is the better grappler. I think she's the better precision striker. And she should be able to, um, I think definitely use Barber's aggressiveness against her to get her to run into a lot of shit. Yeah, I think there's a there's a pretty decent chance you're right. Um, my my just my concern and and, and I agree with the pick. My concern with this one is that Barber can make things really close and hairy. Barber can also convince the judges that she deserves um, a decision win when she doesn't necessarily. Um, but Amanda Hebus should be the better striker on paper. She should be the better 
a grappler on paper once they're on the ground. Macy Barber's physically strong. She's explosive with her offense. Her clinch is pretty nasty. Those elbows are are are, are nasty. She got strongest in the third round. So there's she has a lot of strengths in this division. Twelve and two record overall is pretty damn respectable too. These uh, both these ladies have very similar records. Twelve and two for Barber and eleven and three for, for Hebos. But Hebos has got some pretty high level wins. And I did think Hebos should be able to get takedowns in this one. We've seen Barber. Uh, give up takedowns to opponents like Andrea Lee, who she just walked away with a very close split decision win over. We've seen Roxanne Matafari take her down. And uh, I tend to think that'll be the way for Heboss to win this fight as well. So I don't disagree with the pick. And uh, and I don't blame you for making it relatively early. Do you, mm-hmm. do you agree Heboss is a better is a better boxer? She sh- uh, like she should be her. Uh, when I say boxer, I mean a better te- a better technical boxer. Yeah, offensively she's pretty good. Although she just keeps throwing those those long range one twos. My issue is like she can kind of lunge into a big shot, and Barbara has the potential to counter with some power, to counter with an elbow with some power. So that that would be the risk. Uh, but but I agree, Barbara's not the most technical. She's tenacious. She's physically strong. She's yeah. aggressive. Um, but yeah, she's not going to be the more technical fighter. I don't think in any realm in this matchup. Um, it, but but again, that tenaciousness has come through for her, and she's convinced judges that she deserves a decision even when she doesn't. Yeah, I do. I, I do think Maverick, who just got exposed a little bit. Um you know, in her last fight to serve the victory over Macy Barber. But I also think that Macy Barber's been in there with Alexa Grasso, you know, like she ha- doesn't have, she doesn't have a signature win. Um, you know, he must have some better wins for sure. I believe he, he must beat Dern, right? He must beat Dern. And ba- back in the day. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that back in the day, but uh, I mean, not this version of Dern, but it was like, it was during, I think it was right before Baby or right after Baby. It, anyway, it might have been right after, going, which is going, a tricky time to, you know, it's a tricky time to be expected to do well, like 10 months after you've given birth. Yeah. I'm going with, uh, yeah, going with Hebas here. What do you got? Yeah, uh, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between David Onama and Gabriel Santos. David Onama went from being a huge favorite in this last matchup and losing as an underdog in a fight where I picked against him. I was uh, I actually made some money on that fight. Uh, in picking uh, Nate Landwehr to to beat Onama, and and he did, man. He just put it on him, the kind of pressure that Onama couldn't handle. And Onama, we've seen him win in the UFC, also in a situation where he was kind of getting touched up by lower-level opponents like Gabriel Benitez, and like a 15-punch volley is what won him that fight. Um, He's basically 2-2 and in his last four, and he's a guy that used to train under James Krause. I'm not sure where he's training now. But that's another thing that's kind of against him here, right? The fact that his his head coach is basically banned from coaching at a high-level uh, in the UFC, or really under most commissions at this point, because of uh, his 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 betting infractions or what have you, and so like his mentor, the guy that really believed in him, is not around anymore. Hard to tell, excuse me, from Instagram where he's training now, um, and he's facing Gabriel Santos, who arguably you could say won maybe his UFC debut, should have won his UFC debut against Lerone Murphy. He took that fight on short notice. He looked really good, man. He looked so dangerous. It was a super close fight. Um, I think making the argument that either guy won that fight is is not unreasonable. Uh, and, you know, toward the end, his cardio started to wane, but he still kept pushing and he still kept throwing really dangerous off his back, really offensive with his uh, with his strikes when it comes when it comes to stand up, even though he can be pretty hittable. And that's kind of and that's kind of the the uh, concern with him. He's got really good reactive takedowns. If you're going to throw a kick at him, he's going to catch it. And he's probably going to take you down. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu brown belt, not a black belt in this case. He's a southpaw, but he does switch and he throws plenty of calf kicks. I think that's probably Probably enough against David Onama's physicality and aggression. Uh, Onama's still pretty raw, and the fact that he lost his head coach has me picking uh, Santos here. But I made the mistake of picking a guy based off of an impressive loss before and and regretting it. And this could be one of those cases. Yeah, it's also the you know that that late 
replacement fighting against Mason Jones hasn't aged as well. Like, everyone was like, man, Onama really brought it to him. But, like, Jones then lost to Ludovic Klein, etc. So, I tend to agree with your Santos pick here. I'm going to go straight for the main event. I, you know, I love Josh Emmett, but he's getting older, and he had his shot, you know, against Jair Rodriguez, and is he just one or two victories away possibly from another shot? Maybe, but this division is stacked. Like, he's not necessarily needing a mover from a money situation. He was, he's trying to make stars. And Tapuria, you know, may, what, Tapuria got rocked once, we've seen. Is that right? Well, he, he, he got he it? got dropped pretty badly once, and and he was you know he was kind of he was kind of rocked a little bit by um, by Damon Jackson as well, which is a little bit on the concerning side. But Jay Herbert's the one that dropped him badly with a head kick, but he came right back. In That's the right. That's right. You know, we've seen we've seen other other guys like like Ian Machado, Gary, um, you know, get dropped. Some of his prospects get dropped. Like, um, but Tapuria, like man, the toughness, the self belief. He's the surging fighter. Um, and he's so good everywhere. And I gotta wonder where Emmett's head's gonna be after um, after the he got finished by Rodriguez. Also, his age. And I'm trying to in my picks. And this may be one of the reasons why I've taken a bit of a bit of a lead this year versus other years. Is I'm trying not to be seduced by the guy with the puncher's chance. And while I do think Emmett is really good, his path to victory here is his power. Tapuria is is better pretty much everywhere else. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, Ilya Taporia here. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've got to agree with you on the pick, but I do think there's some serious risk in that Taporia, his main work is in the pocket. And if he's willing to be in the pocket with Josh Emmett, he's going to be in insane danger. Um, just Josh Emmett, that overhand right, that left hook, those powerful explosive shots. And Josh Emmett can also do it um, kind of waiting forward with that switch step thing that he learned from Dwayne Ludwig. He could do it you know, on the counter as well. So there's some concern there, but I tend to agree. I think that uh, you're right. That age is a factor. Tapuria is 26 years old. He is on the come up. He's got like the world at, at his, at his feet, right? Whereas Emmett is 38 years old at 145 pound division, a division where like that kind of age is unforgiving, right? In title fights, 30, 35 year old plus in that weight range don't generally do well. And he didn't do well in his last fight. He was, he was finished by Aaron Rodriguez. He was hurt to the body. And then he was triangle choked and finished by submission. Um, and Ilya Taporia has the has the capability of clubbing and subbing. He has the capability of getting hit and coming back if he needs to. He has solid wrestling. He has really good grappling from top position. He's got insane power, really good body shots, excellent boxing. His defense is better than Emmett's, in my opinion, as well. It's just I see real risk in a five-rounder, his first five-rounder, a guy who goes 100% balls to the wall from the beginning. Right? Will Taporia show some of that maturity? Will he show that he's learned the lessons from that Jay Herbert fight um, and not not be quite as reckless in a matchup in which it's really risky to be reckless. Like you can't afford that against the guy who hits as hard as Josh Emmett, who is as fast as Josh Emmett. So again, as much as I see risk here, and I think the odds are way too wide apart. Um, you know, we often see like a guy lose a super high level fight and then be relegated to being an underdog in his next bout. And then he comes through because we all forgot how good he was prior to that fight. It's like, we, we kind of dis- discount everything he's done prior to that. And so I, I see the risk here, but, you know, Tapori has been my guy for a long time, ever since his UFC debut. I was in, insanely impressed by the guy. Hard to be a believer when you see him, you know, running over guys in the local regional scene. But once he started doing that at the UFC level, it's incredibly impressive. Um, but again, there's risk. I know he's training in Florida now, which is, uh, which is you know, a good sign for him, the fact that he's training in the States. It's not clear whether he's training at American Top Team, which is where I assume he is. 
Um, it could be Killcliffe FC. That would be a pretty good camp for him as well. But, you know, the guy's 13-0 versus Josh Emmett's 18-3, right? Both these records are phenomenal. I'm going to go with Teporia, but I see a little bit more risk than I think the odds would suggest. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Neil Magny and Phil Rowe. Both these guys are pretty tall for that 170-pound division. Philip Rowe has had to come back in a couple of those wins against Nico Price, Jason uh, Jason Witt. Uh, he was able to get out of there in the second round. Um, you know, he, he's looked rough early, and then he had to come back after some tough moments coming off of uh, that UFC debut loss to Gabe Green, who didn't turn out to be all that special. And he's facing Neil Magny here, who doesn't look all that awesome either. He's a guy that really relies on comebacks, but he's got an insane amount of craft on him at this point, right? He does really badly against guys that can ground him and dominate him from top position, like Michael uh, Michael Chiesa, like Shafkat Rahmanov, like Gilbert Burns. Um, this is not a matchup. Phil Rowe, he's a good grappler. He trains with some good grapplers. I don't think this is the kind of matchup in which he can just get, get that top position and dominate. you got to be an elite grappler to do that to Neil, Neil Magny, like a pretty established black belt. Some of the guys that Philip Rowe trains with maybe could do that in a grappling contest to Neil Magny, but I tend to think that Neil Magny's craft will take over here. Uh, he tends to keep you in the clinch if he feels in danger at a distance, and Philip Rowe has some serious power at a distance, and Magny doesn't, but he's got an excellent jab, Magny does. He can grab you in the clinch and tire you out that way. He can drag you to the floor eventually, right? Even if he's losing the first couple of rounds, which Philip Rowe doesn't win the first couple of rounds of most of his fights, Neil Magny has the tendency to come back. So I, I've got to go with Neil Magny here and I say this knowing that Philip Rowe is very explosive and knows how to come back and knows how to finish a fight even in the third round after uh, a rough first couple of rounds yeah Matthew's one of those guys you know since about six seven eight years ago whenever it was when he was just fighting six times a year he just established himself as like a legit gatekeeper he's still pretty durable um, and you know his chin his chin hasn't gone and he can get you know, he can get out-wrestled. He certainly has his weakness, but he is a, you know, he has solidified his gatekeeper status, and eventually the wheels will come off the bus, but they're, in, you know, I don't think he's as, as much of a, a dark horse uh, to knock, you know, potential top 10, top 5 guys off as he used to be, but uh, he's, still nobody, he's still nobody to trifle with. I am going to go with... At this stage in her career, I'm not real high on the Canadian uh, Jillian Robertson. I just don't feel um, like she's as strong as the other, you know, the other strawweight women. Um, I do like some of what we've seen from Tabitha Ricci. I think her only setbacks have been against the truly elite, whereas Robertson has been a much like lower level gatekeeper. I think this is a fight where Ricci, um, you know, passes through that gate without too much difficulty. Um, yeah, Richie's a pretty small 115 pounder, and uh, and Jillian Robertson actually has, mo- has moved down in her last fight to the 115 pound division. So I think some of those strength deficiencies in in the previous division should be less of a factor here. Um, I'm edging Jillian Robertson. She's a really good grappler, and Baby Shark tends to need to get that top position and to do well. Um, Baby Shark is not the taller fighter here. Jillian Robertson, you know, training at American Top Team is in her favor. Training under uh, Dean Thomas. Uh, I like that dynamic as well. So I'm I'm unofficially disagreeing with the pick. I think Jillian Robertson will have a decent size advantage, used to fighting much bigger opposition. So I, I, I'm one, mm-hmm. one thing I didn't realize, and maybe people talked about this as Jillian Roberts was fighting at 115 against Piero Rodriguez, a fight she won by armbar. She she beat Rosanna Yunus in a grappling competition 
at the end of last year. She did. She just ran right through her, but that's probably more because Rose is just a fraction of her former self, man. She looks so bad. She just didn't do anything. Just got dominated. Like, I wonder where Rose is, is at this point. Well, I mean, there's nothing much to go on except for me, except for that Esparza fight. But yeah, I don't know what I don't know what Rose's deal is. Yeah, no, she she's a bit of a head case, and for somebody that's made it like to this point, um, you know, it's it's impressive. But yeah, Jill Robertson literally just ran through her, and Rose didn't do it, the damn thing. I saw that grappling competition, uh, so pretty disappointing on her part. Um, my next pick is going to be in the matchup between Justin Tuffa and Austin. Lane, I guess. Um, uh, I wanted this one. Did you really? Uh, Austin Lane's a former NFL player, so extremely athletic. Hits pretty hard. He's a guy that uh, lost on Contender Series to Greg Hardy. Um, you know, really the guy that that could not keep the gate to allow Greg Hardy into the UFC, who who now Greg Hardy just getting knocked out left and right in, in every boxing match he takes, it seems like. Uh, I'm pretty sure his chin was ruined in the UFC. Austin Lane, though, like he got knocked out silly by that guy. And he's a huge guy. He's incredibly athletic, but... His lack of actual experience against decent opposition, the fact that he, being like the level of athlete that he is, for him to take as many losses as he has in the regional scene against like pretty low-level guys, all of that's pretty concerning. So for that reason, I've got to I've got to go with Justin Tough. I have no idea why, besides the fact that this is a heavyweight fight, I have no idea why this is on the main card because this is pretty low-level MMA. Um, and to to Lane's credit, he's coming off of a six-fight win streak um, after going two and three, including that Greg Hardy. Uh, fight for a bit there. Uh, put put a couple wins together, but like against opponents like three and one, five and nine. There's an eight and three guy in there, Juan Adams, who he uh, former UFC guy who he uh, beat in the fourth round, which is to his credit. I'm assuming they were both exhausted. I didn't see the 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 uh, footage of that fight. He came back in contender series and won in the first round by uh, ground and pound. But I've got to go with Justin Tuffa. The guy has actual experience, trains with his brother, who's a, who's a pretty decent striker as well. I don't think Lane will have much to offer Tuffa. The only thing is that Tuffa sometimes comes unprepared and, and listless. And, you know, as long as he comes in here prepared and conditioned, he should do well here. And I think the weigh-in might give us a, a clue as to what kind of shape that guy's in. Um. Yeah, that's the pick. That's the pick I was going to make. I, I, I've doubted Justin Tuff before. Doubted him against Parker Porter. I ate it for that, and I think you're making the right pick here. I'm pissed. It's not mine. So I'm going to take one from you. Um, I'm going to. <laughs> I think this is the first time because you always pick him and you've always eaten shit for it. Um, but I think I'm going to be the one that that gets the uh, gets the rewards. That rescheduled fight um, or reprogrammed fight, rather. I'm going to take ZZ Zalga uh, Zamagalov. Uh, the minus two, 200 or so favorite um, over Josh Van. So you don't get to take ZZ. Yeah, to be honest, like I keep picking him and I keep losing the pick. And part of the reason I lost last week is because my second and third picks disappeared. And his was one of them. And it's not his fault, right? Most of his opponents tend to uh, pull out of fights. So it's not his fault that, that you know he's not getting to compete in these situations. But I'm done picking him. I'm glad you did. He's taking a fighter on short notice who actually like has a lot of potential um, I, I saw some tape. I was watching some tape on uh, on uh, Joshua Van, and dude is 21 years old. He's pretty mature for for the fact that he's you know only got eight or nine fights, and the fact that he's that young, right? Good feints, jabs well. He counters really well with serious power. Nice head movement. Can be pressured into takedowns, and his ground game is still developing. Although he's been using that offensively as well occasionally. Um, good cardio. Took this fight on, on again, like about a week's notice. He was supposed to have a contender series bout in August and instead had to kind of pull out of that and, and compete in the UFC against, you know, a, a pretty serious opponent. The thing is, Raul Chagas is, he's been like, I mean, 
sorry to use this term, but like he's been experiencing blue balls, man, again and again, right? Time after time, he was supposed to fight and then things fall apart at the last minute within 24 hours of the fight. So I wonder where he is mentally after all the decisions that he's been screwed in. Um, right on paper, he's got the experience edge. On paper, he should be able to pressure in for some takedowns, but Joshua Van's a pretty dangerous guy. So I'm, I'm kind of glad you're making this pick instead of me. Um, just because it's hard to rely on him uh, on, on his fights to actually come to fruition. It's hard to rely on him to win a decision that he seemingly pretty clearly deserves. My next pick is going to be, and this is going to be our final uh, final couple of picks left, Nick. I'm trying to decide between, between these two matchups. Um, I think I'm going to take from the Tatsuya, Tyra, and Cleetson Rodriguez matchup. Um, Cleetson Rodriguez is a really explosive kickboxer. Yeah, we showed that uh, against we saw against CJ Vargas that he can be pressured, and he probably should have won that decision. I kind of feel like he was screwed in that one. Um, that he can be pressured effectively, right? And he can get tired because of his high octane style. Um, he's got kind of that classic Brazilian tie style, and we, we've seen it so many times, with, especially with a lot of these recent prospects from the Brazilian circuit, even in the women's divisions, um, including in the women's divisions. And then we've got Tatsura, who's like fairly experienced. He's got a 10-0 amateur record. He's 13-0 as a pro, including three wins in the UFC, uh, two of them by submission, right? The guy's a real serious grappler. He beat CJ Vargara by submission, the same guy that beat Gutsen Rodriguez. So the MMA math favors... Uh, favors Tyra here. I think the odds are way too far apart. So, like on on paper, I could see this as a two point opportunity. I just feel like there's. I just feel like realistically, Tyra should have such an edge on the ground um, that I've got to go with him. And worst case, he should be serviceable in the first round or so and survive. You know, maybe uh, some tough output from Rodriguez. But I, I tend to think that Tyra's craft, uh, his just how 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 he sets up submissions, how he's such an effective finisher on the ground. Um, I think I've got to go with Tyra. He's got seven wins by submission, three by knockout, and only three that went to the decision. Dude's a real finisher. I'm not sure he's going to finish Rodriguez here, who's, who's again, a really, a really solid opponent. He's only got that one loss to Vargara, which probably shouldn't... Oh, I'm sorry, one loss in recent memory to Vargara, which probably shouldn't even be a loss. So, again, the odds are way too wide apart here. I might reconsider this as a two-point pick, but I've got to go with the uh, Japanese Tyra to pick up this win. Okay. Um, what is there, just one left? Yep, only Brendan Allen versus Bruno Silva left. Um, oh, this is a tough one, and based on Bruno Silva's aggression, what a fun fighter he is, like, and how for a while it seemed like, uh, you know, Brendan Allen um, was maybe not the most durable guy in the world. Um, you know, he's looked really good in his, his recent run. He's on a four-fight, five, eight, no, he had the loss to Chris Curtis. So, yeah, I mean, he lost, to, he lost to Curtis, he lost to Strickland. That was an ugly, you know, ugly loss. But it was a couple of years ago. You know, Jacob Malcoon, this is a really tough pick. Good Jocko. Not guys, Sam Alves, you know, slow guys, other, other grapplers. Um... I'm gonna. I'm going to actually change my pick midstream here, and I think that Bruno Silva might be the kind of guy that um, I want to check the odds too to see if it's two point if it's a two pointer. I think that might actually be a two pointer. It's, yeah, it is. It is a two pointer plus one fifty five. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Bruno Silva because I still think that a fast, unpredictable striker, um, 
is Brendan Allen's kryptonite. And he had and when I really look at his wins since the Curtis loss, he hasn't had the kind of guy in there that, that could clip him and make things uh, you know, make put him in a really bad position. I think Bruno Silva, you know, is that guy. Um so I think that that Brendan Allen, in order to get the takedown, is going to have to wade is going to have to wade through some stuff, and I th- I think Bruno Silva can touch him. So I'm going to go. I'm going to take the I'm going to take the flyer and go for two points here. Yeah, Brendan Allen is kind of like Miranda Maverick in that he's offensively pretty solid. He's got really good offensive striking, especially at a long range. He's a pretty tall guy for the division. Um, he's got not not good wrestling offensive at all, or defensive for that matter, right? But he does have good offensive grappling. Bad defensive grappling, though. He can be submitted like he can submit. He can be knocked out like, in, like he can outstrike somebody. Uh, and it's the trickiest thing with him. It's, it's, it's hard to know, right? He, he just faced the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, Andre Muniz, who's been running through people. Beat him by rear naked choke in the third round after Muniz got tired. Trains at Kilcliffe FC. And Bruno Silva looked pretty listless in his loss against Gerald Mirchard. He was competitive against Alex Pereira in a stand-up fight, but didn't have the MMA, MMA IQ to go for takedowns. Um, Brandon Allen's offensive wrestling sucks, and Bruno Silva's defensive wrestling is pretty good. For that reason, I totally see where he's taking the two-point swing. I think I'm going to stick with Allen by a hair. But again, given these odds, if I was making this pick, I probably would have gone that direction as well. Um, again, Allen can be finished on the counter because he just lunges in and doesn't have the best defense. And he doesn't have great wrestling. So is he going to be able to take this into the realm where he should on paper be dominant? I'm not so sure. But his cardio should be the... the, the uh, he should have the edge in that way. And Gerald Mirchard basically out cardio Bruno Silva, uh, you know, uh, what was it, about a year ago? So... I tend to think that I tend to think that there's a real possibility that that could happen here. Brendan Allen overall is improving. It's just like I don't know that he's making enough strides and improvement to really face the top guys. Bruno Silva is just short of those top guys. These are both like just under that that elite level, in my opinion, when it comes to the middleweights. And middleweight elite doesn't doesn't mean the same as elite at 155 or 145 or 135, obviously. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna edge Brendan Allen and uh, hope that he wins for the sake of you not picking up those two points. Yeah, it's tricky, man. But it's one of those things. If two if two years ago your chin ate it against Sean Strickland, like, yeah, I hear you. Bruno Silva is dangerous. I, I hear you. I mean, that's the thing is Sean Strickland's not known for his power, but Brendan Allen ran into his strikes. He just ran right into that counter. Um, still, like, that's the only finish Sean Strickland's had in forever. Uh, certainly against like a decent opponent. So you're right. It's concerning. Um, so yeah, I, I I tend to I I I totally see why you're making this pick at this time. And, uh, and Nikolai, that'll do it. Look, th- this is a better card than we've had in a little while. You are in the lead by eight points, so I've got some making up to do, and I'm going to work my way back up slowly. It's just like I feel like these cards aren't giving me the best opportunities uh, to do that. And, and to be fair, you're taking those opportun- the same opportunities that I have, right? And you and you are taking advantage of it. So, so again, all the credit to you, man. Really, really nice job picking these fights lately in our competition format. And then uh, we've got a fight night card, Strickland versus Magomedov. Uh, this is a rough card. Yeah, I mean, let me see. It, it's not as bad as some of the ones lately. Just looking at the, uh, like, we got Michael Morales. It's filled with, it's, uh-huh. it's filled with villains. Yeah. Alexander Romanov against Ivanov. Guys, they didn't want Kevin Lee on the prelims. Yeah, that that is that is interesting. Uh, He's Abdul Razak Al Hassan on the main card. You know, like Max Griffin. Guys, who, it's <laughs> this is like sec, this is like second chance. I mean, listen, Ismail Bonfim versus Third Benoit St. Denis on this, on this on this card. Abus Magomedov, who granted is not ready for top 10, shouldn't be what? ready for top 10, is fighting Sean Strickland in the main event. It's not bad. Demir- What's Benoit St. Uh-huh. Is, this, is this card in France? 
Uh, no, it's not, but I, I'm sure they have to give him a fight. It's a, it looks like it's a... Uh, but why is he on the... Benoit who I like, but he's on the main card? That guy's, that guy's on the cusp of UFC caliber. Yeah, uh, like, I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not sure what the order is here, um, but no, he's, he's a... Benoit I'm looking at, a, I'm looking at player, the man. Um, Ismail Bonfim, it's really for Ismail Bonfim that he's on the main card, if anything, right? Sean Strickland versus Abus Magomedov. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. I forgot who, I forgot who Bonfim was yeah. for a second. He was the guy that aced Terrence McKinney. So, actually, good on him, good on St. Denis for taking that fight. Yeah, Jesus. yeah, exactly. We, um, we, we've got Bruno Ferrer versus Abdul Razak Hassan. That's guaranteed fireworks. Bruno Ferrer is the guy that took that short notice fight against Gregory Rodriguez and knocked him out in the first round. Michael Morales is a serious prospect, 14-0 against Max Griffin, who's been surging lately. Arian Lipsky, Melissa Gatto is not a bad fight, I guess. Demir Smagulov versus Grant Dawson is a really good fight. Like, uh, Kevin Lee, Renat Farkutanov is not a bad fight. Romanov is fighting up, uh, coming back against Ivanov. Don't forget, uh-huh. <laughs> we, got, we, got, we got Battle of the, of the, of the W145 Featherweight Stakers. Yeah. We got Yama Santos coming off a not good performance against Carol Rosa coming off of a not good performance. Right, but but again, Joanne Sombrito is on this card. He's a real Brazilian prospect. We've got Guram Kutateladze on this card. Like, they're, they're, yeah, they're, it's, this a fun, is, it's a funky card. Yeah, it's, it's, it's closer to the card that we're about to go into, which I think is decent. It's not as bad as the ones we've had. Even pay-per-views, that Amanda Nunes pay-per-view, the prelims were absolutely horrid. Oh. Like, every fight, maybe except for the co-main event, could have been a prelim on, on any other fight night card. Uh, of that one, right? So, like, this card that's coming up this weekend that we just broke down and Strickland versus Magomedov, not terrible, man. Not as terrible as some of those other ones. And when you lower the standard to the extent that the UFC has uh, over the last little while, you know, it, it, it almost makes it feel like the, it's rewarding to have an okay fight night card. I will say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. But the, the pay-per-view card coming up after that is is guaranteed to be fun. Is it? I'm, I'm not even... You got Vol- which one is that? Oh, you got Volkanovski yeah. Rodriguez. You got Moreno Pantoja. You got Bo Nickel coming back. You got Robert Whitaker, Drikus Duplessis. Could, you know, that's a main, should be a main fight. Dan Hooker, Jalen Turner. Someone's going to sleep there. Like, Robbie Lawler, Nico Price. Eh, it won't be boring. Sean Brady, a real test for Jack Della Maddalena. That's exciting. Yep. Should not be on the prelims. That should be a main part fight. Um, the, the prelims are meh on it. You got Jimmy Crute, Alonzo Manifield. That probably won't be boring. But the main the main card and uh, those top two prelims uh, are you know are a lot of fun. I don't know how I feel about Bo Nickel, Tracy, Tracy and Gore on the main card, but yeah, they're, they're, know, they're got, trying to get they got to combine ten. I know, but they got that's a combined ten fights. Like put make uh, yeah, I don't know. I would put make Bo Nickel the, the head prelim and put Robbie Lawler on the main card just because Robbie Lawler or or Sean Brady, Jack Della Maddalena, which is going to be the, that's the I mean that's. The, I don't want to say that's a fight fan's main event and you've got Robert Whitaker who plus this on the card or yeah, Eric Volkanovski, but I'm real curious to see Sean Brady and Jack Della Maddalena because if Jack Della Maddalena gets through that fight and can, and like, can deal with what Sean Brady brings to the table, my perspective on his upside gets extremely bullish. Yeah, and, and I'm sure that'll be the case for, uh, you know, the winner The winner of that fight is, is going gonna, is gonna to be in good standing overall, but you're right, Jack Della has more to gain from that from that situation than does Sean Brady. Um, but but I will say, like, th- there's, like, even uh, when you're talking about Bo Nickel being a, 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 a prelim, like the head prelim fight, I think they're looking for an exciting fight to lead into the pay-per-view. Bo Nickel, you know, grappling somebody in a couple of minutes isn't going to get people to go, yeah, I need to buy this pay-per-view right now. Robbie Lawler or Nico Price fight might just do exactly that that'll do it Nikolai you are in the point by uh, in the lead by eight points and I'm looking forward to closing that gap sooner or later Nikolai uh, enjoy your enjoy your honeymoon here as uh, as you as you uh, remain in the lead for this time being 
Later, bud. <laughs> okay.